All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking about the Falcons cuts to get down to the 80 man roster, as well as talking about the team picking up Josh Rosen and whether or not he is the reclamation project that he has been built to be. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP, still going strong. However, on Twitter at Falcfans, and of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons, we'll be talking about the four cuts, or I'm sorry, five cuts that the Falcons made to get absolutely, down to absolutely. their 80-man um, roster, as well as the addition of now journeyman quarterback, former first-round pick, Top 10 selection QB one on several people's boards, including my own from 2018 draft class. That is Josh Rosen. And we'll get quite a bit into some of my thoughts on why certain quarterbacks succeed, particularly these sort of reclamation projects uh, and whether or not the idea that I think some people have, if Arthur Smith can do for Ryan Tannehill, for Josh Rosen, what he did for Ryan Tannehill here in Atlanta, we'll get into that topic uh, later on today. But before we get into all of that stuff, I do want to let you guys know about the Locked On Podcast Network's Ultimate NFL Season Preview beginning on August 30th through September 8th. Locked On has the Ultimate Season Preview taking you through every team and every division with the help of Odyssey's lineup of NFL experts. Follow and subscribe to the Ultimate Season Preview 2021 feed on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So before we get into the Josh Rosen, I have quite a bit to say about the Josh Rosen signing. Let's go through the Falcons cuts. And, you know, probably the biggest surprise of the group was the Falcons cutting JV and Hawkins, since most people, myself included, went into camp thinking that Hawkins was a very strong bet to make the 53 man roster as that fourth running back. Um, but as things wore on and we got to see him in games, that became less and less likely to the point that by the end of the Dolphins game, I don't think JV and Hawkins not making the roster became as big a surprise because it seemed like Caleb Huntley, the current favorite for that RB four position had created significant separation between him and Hawkins for that gig. And I think the two main reasons why are pass protection and explosiveness. Now talking about explosiveness, you know, that was the thing that we expected Hawkins to really showcase as his greatest asset to really signify him away from the rest of this running back group, which is a bunch of bigger, uh, you know, in some cases, more plotting runners, uh, these 220, 230 pound guys. And we thought Hawkins, would be, you know, a front runner to be that change of pace running back because he has that, you know, explosive speed. But the reality, at least in the preseason games, was that Huntley looked far more explosive and far more dynamic um, as a runner and receiver in these preseason games than, than Huntley did, far more decisive uh, in those games. And then the pass protection thing is something I've touched upon quite a bit on this podcast over the years and recently on these episodes, talking about this running back battle. And one of the reasons why, you know, sub 190 pound running backs 
you know, haven't had a high success rate, high hit rate in the NFL over the years uh, because they can't hold up to, you know, all these blitzing linebackers and edge rushers. And that was pretty evident in the Miami game because there was a point midway through the third quarter on a third down where the Falcons pulled Hawkins out from the game and replaced him for a single snap with Huntley. And typically how the Falcons have been treated this preseason is that they basically have one running back go in for an entire series and, and play every single snap. And so the rare instances where the Falcons have basically subbed in a different running back you know, that include this instances in a pass protection situation where the Falcons didn't trust Hawkins because in the Tennessee game, he didn't quite hold up in that regard. And, and Huntley has shown improvement in that regard and had a couple of nice blocks in this Dolphins game in that pass protection, which is the key uh, for a lot of these running backs in addition to his ability as a runner. Now, moving on to the wide receiver position, the Falcons also cut Austin Tremo, uh, and he was a guy that Kevin Knight of the Falcoholic came on the podcast earlier this summer, you know, to highlight his early standouts in camp. But unfortunately for Tremel, shortly thereafter, he got injured, and I think the missed time led to his demise and, and falling short in the pe- pe- wide receiver pecking order. And, you know, going into this cut deadline on Tuesday, I expected Trevor Davis to get the ax instead, but I guess the fact that Davis wound up being more available than Jamel gave him that edge to at least last another week in Atlanta. Moving on to the defensive line in Olive Sungapalu, he was a player that going into the summer, I was predicting to potentially make the roster as that sort of backup nose tackle behind Tyler Davidson, given the lack of beef that the Falcons had up front, but because of the Falcons not playing much of a 3-4 scheme where that type of nose tackle has value. Go listen to yesterday's episode to get clarity on that particular topic. Um, and the fact that Sungapalu was playing more of a three technique and doesn't necessarily have the sort of disruptive capabilities to really shine in that role. And maybe you can say the Falcons, you know, kind of square pegged them in that way, which is fair. You know, I don't think Sungapalu really had, um, you know, did enough to really shine to really, you know, stick long-term. Um, and it's interesting because if you go back to May when the Falcons first signed Sungapalu as well as Ilianku, you know, I thought at that time Ilianku was the better bet to make the team just because he has a little bit more of that beef against the run. But then the Falcons wound up cutting Ilianku. They wound up bringing back Ilianku and still, you know, Anku winds up outlasting Sungapalu despite that, you know, brief setback earlier this summer. So just interesting tidbit there. Um, the edge rusher and Sharif Miller, I thought Sharif Miller looked really good as a pass rusher against Tennessee. I'll be honest, I haven't watched the second half of the Miami game where Miller would have wound up playing. Um, and so I'll, I'm yet to discover he continued to play as an impressive pass rusher in that Tennessee game. But he's been working as the fourth string Sam linebacker behind Kobe Jones in these games. And while... I have not been particularly impressed by Kobe Jones uh, and been a little bit more impressed with Miller, at least in terms of his pass rushing upside. Clearly the Falcons like Jones a little bit more since he's been getting a lot more work higher up on the depth chart. And the last cut was offensive lineman, Willie Wright and Wright did miss time earlier in camp due to COVID. Maybe that was a, a factor in why he wound up getting cut than some of the other offensive linemen. Because frankly, when I'm at least when I'm watching the film, you know, whether we're talking about the Tennessee game or that Miami game, I feel like Willie Wright outperformed some of the other guys that are along this interior and certainly along the offensive tackle position. But I think maybe because Jalen Mayfield is now going to permanently be moved inside the guard, then maybe the Falcons deem that there weren't enough snaps to go around. But, you know, what's interesting about the Willie Wright thing is, you know, I think this is a situation where, you know, we can talk about arm length and, you know, arm length when it comes to offensive linemen can be overrated at times. Basically, you sit down, you watch the film, and if you wind up being concerned or aware of maybe this 
players arm length could be a concern, then arm length is a concern. If it's not, then, you know, it's overrated. It's similar to speed. If you watch the film and you say, hey, this guy kind of looks slower then and then he runs a four slow uh, a slow 40 then you're like okay speed is a problem for this guy but if he looks fast on film and then runs a slightly slower 40 than you were expecting then that's not a big deal um and so i say all that because when i've been watching several of these falcons blockers whether we're talking about they're playing college and the pros i think arm length is a concern for several of the falcons offensive linemen and part of me wonders if in the future you know we'll see the falcons sort of flip preferences because in recent years, they have generally, when it comes to their evaluations of offensive linemen, kind of disregarded arm length because they've drafted and invested uh, resources in players that don't have long arms. You know, Chris Lindstrom has long arms, but Kayla McGarry, Matt Hennessy, Chris Dolman, Jalen Mayfield are on the shorter side in, when it comes to arm length for the offensive line position. You look at some of the undrafted free agents and, and free agent pickups they made also on the offensive line with Ryan Newsom and Joe Sculthorpe and, and Sam Jones being more of those short arm guys. And I'm just wondering, you know, in a world where the Falcons are successfully able to develop several of these guys into capable and in, in, in good starters, then I think they will sit there and say, Oh, arm length is not a big deal. We don't really care that much. And we'll continue to not put much stock into it as part of our evaluation of offensive linemen. But in a world where the Falcons offensive line struggles and some, several of these guys fail to develop, up, you know, you could be in a situation further down the road where the Falcons say, oh, arm length does matter. And that's one of the reasons why certain guys failed. And we're going to put more stock in guys that have longer arms. And I sit here and wonder with Willie Wright in, in that regard, did the Falcons let go of a guy that does have that sort of arm length that, you know, two, three years from now, he'll be valued a lot higher than he is right now, because right now the Falcons uh, don't necessarily value arm length. So that's just something that's you know, a seed that's planted in the back of my head and certainly something I'll, I'll be thinking about in the future. Um, and I'm sure, you know, several of you don't care about that stuff. What you do care about is the Falcon signing quarterback Josh Rosen to replace AJ McCarron, who one of the other roster moves that the Falcons made was officially putting McCarron on injured reserve with the torn ACL in his right knee that he suffered in that second preseason game against the Miami Dolphins. And that move, the addition of Rosen has created a lot of excitement around the city of Atlanta, at least uh, in these last couple of days with a lot of people jazzed up about the potential for Josh Rosen to be this sort of big time reclamation project. But if you've been listening to this podcast over the last few days, as well as following me on Twitter, Twitter, uh, you probably are aware that I am not as energized about this move as maybe others seem to be. And I'll explain exactly why that is and why you don't necessarily see uh, Josh Rosen as anything more than a camp body that's going to just get the Falcons through this next week uh, before final cuts uh, a week from now. But uh, we'll get into that. And I'll explain why coming up on today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But guys, college football is coming up this weekend in addition to the Falcons final preseason game. And of course you can find a daily podcast devoted to perhaps your favorite college football team or your favorite conference here on the lockdown podcast network, whether you're a Georgia Bulldogs fan with lockdown Bulldogs, Buckeyes fan with lockdown Buckeyes, Pac 12 fan with lockdown Pac 12. You can find it all on the lockdown podcast network. Subscribe to the, whichever one is your favorite show on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. And it's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And as always, BetOnline is the number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including the half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest. Open now, only at BetOnline. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at BetOnline.ag, and you will receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo, which means if you make a bet, on Thursday, September 9th, 
for the season opener between the Bucks and Cowboys. And even if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, right all the way to horse racing. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So we did talk about this earlier this week on episodes where we talked about how do the Falcons fill the shoes of AJ McCarron as the QB two. And it basically appears that the Falcons worked out Josh Rosen and Blake Bortles on Monday night, chose to sign Rose, Rosen presumably uh, because he had the stronger workout and Rosen will come in and presumably push Felipe Franks for the right to audition to replace McCarron as Matt Ryan's new backup quarterback. And if you love this move and you're excited about the Falcons adding a 24 year old, former top 10 draft pick in Josh Rosen, and you still believe that there's untapped potential that the Falcons could wind up developing not only as a short term number two quarterback, but there's also maybe a sliver of a chance that if all things go according to plan, Josh Rosen could be the heir apparent to Matt Ryan as a Falcons starter three to five years from now, then, you know, that's certainly an opinion. Now, I'm sure some of you are saying, okay, maybe Aaron, we're not going that far. Let's pump the brakes a little bit on that last point about Rosen being the future starter. But nonetheless, you know, he could still be a a capable backup for this team. But I would probably also pump the brakes on Josh Rosen being penciling in as anything more than the QB three and not quite the QB two. As I said before, if I was a betting man, I think Rosen is probably just going to be a placeholder to get the Falcons through this week as they finish up their preseason against the Browns. Should we see Rosen even play at all on Sunday? It'll probably be on a very limited basis, very late in the game in the fourth quarter. And I think what's most likely to happen is that next Tuesday on August 30th, um, I'm sorry, August 31st, when the final cuts are made around the league, there are going to be several veteran quarterbacks cut like Matt Barkley, like Trevor Simeon, Chase Daniel, Brian Hoyer. And all of those guys have previous experience playing with either head coach, Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator, Dave Ragone, quarterbacks, coach Charles London, or passing game assistant TJ Yates. And given the vast majority of the players that the Falcons have signed this offseason have been players that this coaching staff and regime were already familiar with from their previous stops, you know, I expect them to continue that trend with the backup quarterback situation. That's basically what A.J. McCarron was given his time in Houston with Yates these past couple of years. So I think if we're trying to have sort of semi-realistic and grounded expectations for Rosen, I think the best case scenario for him is that with a good week of practice, and the Falcons will probably still sign one of those more familiar options to be their QB two next week, but maybe Rosen can usurp uh, Felipe Franks as the quarterback three and, you know, land on the practice squad and essentially give Rosen that longer audition for the next four to five months before deciding next offseason what the plan is going to be at the quarterback position, basically keeping in with the tradition of punting all their major needs and decisions to next offseason. But for the record, I, I want to say this before I get labeled as a Rosen hater, that I was a huge fan of Josh Rosen when he came out of UCLA three years ago. He was the number one quarterback on my 2018 quarterback draft board. You can go back and listen to an episode I did with Mark Schofield of the Touchdown Wire ahead of that 2018 draft on this very Locked On Falcons podcast where I expressed my undying affection for Josh Rosen because I had the belief at the time that he was going to be the next Matt Ryan. But Rosen failed to live up to that. And I think that expectation of him being Matt Ryan is core part of the reason why. 
in this past offseason, I also had Mark on the podcast several times to talk about this past year's quarterback class. And in one of those episodes, we were talking specifically about Mac Jones at the beginning of April. And Rosen's name got brought up in the context of why a player like Mac Jones is seen as a little bit more riskier than some of the other quarterbacks that were projected to be high round picks this past April. And I want to play you that clip where Mark and I are talking on this very subject. And Mark expresses a potential reason why Josh Rosen has failed thus far in the NFL. Now, much of the talk surrounding Jones has been, as you mentioned, about his ceiling at the next level. And we've seen this push in recent years in particular for more mobile quarterbacks. I think a lot of that has to do with the success of a player like Patrick Mahomes and sort of, you know, teams haven't had as much success, particularly over the last decade, um, developing these sort of quote unquote pure pocket quarterbacks really since a guy like Matt Ryan uh, came out back in 2008 And then you sort of look at, say, the recent failure of a player like Josh Rosen. Do you feel like that's a big contributing factor to that's maybe why a lot of people, whether it's NFL people or whether, you know, it's people on draft Twitter or whatever the case may be, are now scared away from this Mac Jones like player? And I'm wondering, is there a lesson in that? Um, given that, you know, Rosen kind of went to a bad situation in Arizona and sort of similarly Jones kind of has to go to the right spot in order to sort of not fall into that same sort of trap. You know, and the other thing, the Rosen thing, it's an also a, to bring up Rosen. It's a great reminder that we don't know everything. Like again, my Rosen was my QB one and I missed wildly on him. And part of it was, I thought he was ready from the sort of mental perspective, the pocket footwork and all of that stuff. And we find out later that he couldn't identify a Mike linebacker. Like he, he just, he didn't understand protection schemes. Like we, th- we had a different vision of him in our minds than the reality was. Now that comment about not knowing how to ID protections is stems from something Rosen said in a press conference in the early days of training camp back in 2019, when he first joined the Miami dolphins during his second NFL season. And, you know, one of the other things that came out of that press conference was sort of him talking about how the game, you know, he's trying to learn certain things in order to slow the game down, but he hasn't reached that point yet. Now that you've heard that, I have another clip I want to play you where I'm talking a little bit more in depth about my philosophy when it comes to drafting and developing quarterbacks. And this clip comes from my appearance on the Falcoholic live draft show during day two of this past year's draft. And this was basically, I'm going to play you three minutes of roughly 10 minute conversation that I had with guys like Will McFadden, Kevin Knight, Eric Robinson during round three of this past year's draft, basically right before the Falcons wound up selecting Jalen Mayfield. Um, And we were talking about the potential of the Falcons drafting a quarterback like Kellen Mond or Kyle Trask. And that sort of brought about this conversation. And so I'm going to play you at least the parts relevant to what I was talking about and how this applies to Josh Rosen's specific situation. But again, if you want to get further context and, and sort of the full video of the sort of back and forth that is not included in this clip, I'm about to play you. Um, from guys like Will primarily, as well as Kevin and Eric, you know, you can go check out the show. I'll put the YouTube link and the timestamp in the show description, but here it goes. I mean, the thing with quarterbacks nowadays, we've seen these last couple of years, basically starting with Josh Rosen, where teams are just basically, if if you're not good enough, they're going to try to upgrade you. And so I think there's value to you, you know, what the Titans did with Ryan Tannehill, And, you know, getting these guys when they're like 29, 30 after seven years in the league and they've seen a lot and you can sort of salvage, 
you know, have them as reclamation projects at that point in their career. But like the Sam Darnolds of the world, the Josh Rosens of the world, these guys that are like 24 years old that haven't had any enough reps to have that, you know, I just, I don't get that. So like for me, if I'm looking for a Kellen Mond type of player, I would love to get Kellen Mond when he's 29 or 30 years old. (laughs) It's just kind of like, I don't get, let somebody else develop him and then I'll get him when he's undervalued, like a Ryan Fitzpatrick or like a Ryan Tannehill. But to me, the the perfect players like for reclamation projects are guys like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota at this point in time, Mm -hmm. because they've started five years. They've seen a lot. They've played at times at a high level. I'll roll the dice on one of those guys today because I know they've had the reps, but getting back to the quarterback conversation, Mm -hmm. you either want a high upside young guy that you want to give the reps Yep. Or you want an older veteran that's had the reps because at that point in time, the guy's brain is more valuable than necessarily the physical skill. So yep. it's to me like that middle ground where, where people are like getting a relatively low upside young guy. Like I just don't see the value of a team investing in that. Um, and, and that's where these quarterbacks like the Kellen Mons, the Trask and, the, and Davis Mill. Like it's not to say that they're bad quarterbacks. I just think what's the point? I'll let somebody else give them the development and then I'll scoop them up when they have the neck up ability um, that is valuable to me. So when was the last time we've seen, you know, a Matt shop? Like that was like the last time was like 13 years ago where a guy was a backup. I mean, Brock Osweiler, but he didn't pan out. So, I mean, I just think, I I don't think it just doesn't seem like a, a lot of examples of guys that you draft and develop for three or four years. And then it pays off for you in recent mm-hmm. history. So I just, at this point in time, I don't, I don't get the point of it, but I hear what you're saying. I just think like, I'll take a flyer on a, like a Sean Rimfrey in, in round seven, you know, cause at that point in time, you know, it's a seven round pick who cares. Yeah. Um, but just like these premium picks when, if I can get a starter at somebody else and I'm taking a flyer on a backup quarterback that may, you know, uh, a Mason Rudolph, a uh, Kyle Laletta, like I, I just don't see the point in, in using picks on, on these guys that, there's like a slim chance that they are the, the next matchup. So now that you've heard those two takes on Josh Rosen, I want to ex- further explore why I don't see Rosen as this low risk, high reward type of signing that some people have been describing him as for the Falcons and why I don't think Ross, Josh Rosen is it really worthwhile as a reclamation project. I want to go into further detail based off of what you've heard from myself and Mark and thus when I've seen people say, oh, I'd much rather take a shot on Josh Rosen at QB2 than AJ McCarron or Felipe Franks, I kind of think that's fundamentally wrong. And I'll explain why coming up on today's episode. But before we get there, guys, did you know that Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market, has nine delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me or you prefer mint brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, salted caramel, coconut, raspberry, orange or strawberry, there's something for everyone, even the occasional limited time flavor on sale now. You can try them all with a mix box and you'll want to in order to get that healthy snack that tastes just like a candy bar, but you get none of the guilt. Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. My favorite, the coconut almond, tastes just like an almond joy. But it's not just about Built Bars' great taste. They're healthy, too. They're low in sugar, low in calories, high in protein, high in fiber. Again, that candy bar flavor with none of the guilt. Just head over to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. 
So I'll be honest, guys, I could probably spend another hour talking about this stuff. Uh, and you know, most of the off season, I had this expectation. Oh, I don't necessarily need to go too deep into stuff because at some point in May, we'll get into this conversation because the Falcons are going to draft a quarterback, but they didn't do that. And, uh, now their signing of Josh Rosen gives me kind of the perfect opportunity to give some of my abridged thoughts on, you know, development quarterbacks and, and what it means to be a successful quarterback in today's NFL. Things that I have touched upon, particularly in, in those episodes with Mark over the last, you know, six or so months, but we'll go in a little bit deeper here. And first, let me say this, that, you know, whenever I've come across Falcon fans, particularly in the last couple of years that tend to dismiss the value of running and or athletic quarterbacks, I kind of laugh at those guys because I see that as an indicator as someone that really hasn't been paying attention to the direction of the NFL in the quarterback position and where it's been headed for years, if not decades. Uh, it's an indication that someone only really watches the Falcons and doesn't watch much other football. And I say that because if you ask any defensive coordinators, uh, and they've said this for years, uh, the, the hardest thing to defend in the NFL is a mobile quarterback. And the reasons for that should be self-evident, but in case you need it explained, a defensive coordinator can draw up the perfect play call on defense, have it covered perfectly, have the pass rush, get that pressure. But if a quarterback can escape that rush, get outside the pocket, extend that play and buy his receivers more time to get open, it kills the perfect play call. You can have the perfect play call, the perfect execution, at least for the first three to four seconds of the play on a third and eight that you should be able to get off the field on. But that mobile quarterback completely breaks it down when he turns that three second play into a six second play. And in addition to that, one of the reasons why you've seen the NFL steadily trend towards these more athletic and physically gifted quarterbacks in recent years and why a player like Mac Jones this past April was seen as lesser than some of the other potential first round quarterbacks ranked ahead of him is because of the rush timeline that comes with being a quarterback in today's NFL. Many cite the advancement of high school and college football as a reason having a significant influence on why there's so much more better quarterbacks in today's NFL. And that, that may be true, right? I, I think it's certainly fair that, you know, the development that 16 year olds are getting today uh, in their aspirations to be the next Tom Brady, next Russell Wilson um, is certainly better than it was 20 years ago. But I honestly think the new collective bargaining agreement that was signed back in 2011 arguably has even a bigger impact on the development of what quarterbacks do rather than the lower levels. When Matt Ryan came out back in 2008 under the old CBA, quarterback contracts were completely crazy. You know, Matt Ryan signed a six year, 66, $67 million contract back then, which, you know, you hear that today is, is nothing. You kind of scoff at it, like whatever, but relative to what the cap was back in 2008, that would be essentially signing a, a young quarterback, you know, Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson signing a six year, a hundred million dollar contract today. Right. If you were a high first round draft pick, top 10 pick, those years, you were getting paid ridiculous amounts of money, sight unseen. And thus teams due to those finances were essentially obligated to commit four or five years to a guy and thus try to development over the course of four or five years because they essentially couldn't get out of the deal. That's why there was an old adage that no longer applies, but it used to be said that if you missed on a quarterback, it would set your team back five years because you basically had to quote unquote waste five years on that quarterback before you figured it out because financially you had to invest five years, but that's not the case nowadays. 
evidenced by all the quarterbacks that teams have moved on within the first three years of their NFL careers, like Josh Rosen, like Sam Darnold, and Dwayne Haskins in recent years. That's because the new CBA doesn't make teams, doesn't force teams to have these huge financial commitments to any of their draft picks, including those top 10 quarterbacks. You look at Justin Fields' contract that he signed with the Bears. If the Bears decided to dump him before his third season in, say, 2023, they would incur a significant dead money cap hit of roughly $11 million. But the reality is they don't need to dump him, right? His cap hit in 2023 is $5 million. In 2024, it's $6 million. That's basically premium number two quarterback money. So even if the Bears realize after two seasons that Justin Fields is a bust, they could still bring in a new guy and still retain Justin Fields without it being cost prohibitive because – you know, the, the, he's not making nearly as much money before you compare that to what Matt Ryan's cap hit was in his third year back in 2010, it was $12 million again. And today's money, that doesn't seem like a whole lot of money, but if you apply $2010, $12 million and $2010 would be like $20 million in 2021 dollars. And there's no way that you're going to keep a $20 million quarterback as a backup or an $18 million quarterback, whatever it works out to be exactly as a backup quarterback. That guy's has to start finances dictate that you have to find out if that guy's worth the $18 million that you're paying him. And again, there's a million things that we could talk about this and how it relates to Josh Rosen. But the key is it, this new CBA pressures teams to get their guys on the field sooner rather than later. Right. You don't have to feel obligated to commit five years to a guy. Right. Back in the old days, you could afford to sit Chad Pennington or Aaron Rodgers for three years. Right. Because you were financially making a five year commitment to them. Nowadays, you know, you're lucky if it's a two or three year commitment. And so you need to see that guy right away. You got to throw that guy to the wolves right away. You need to discover right now if. Justin Fields, if Mac Jones, right? You can maybe afford to wait a year like the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes and seemingly like the Bears, 49ers, and Patriots might want to do. We'll see if they actually go through with this with Fields and Lance and Mac Jones. But you can't afford to wait more than a year to sit that guy. And certainly, if you want to apply that to the Falcons, that probably had a significant hand, more so than best player available, and why the Falcons chose not to take a quarterback because they weren't convinced that they weren't going to sit that guy for more than a year, but that's a conversation for another day. All right. And we'll certainly be having that conversation quite a bit over the next three to five years. So we can say that for another day, but how this relates to athleticism and the lack of reps that I talked about earlier in that clip, because when you're that young, you don't have the experience to win with your brain. So to speak, you have to win with physical tools when you're being thrust to the wolves in your first year or in your second year. Right. You're going to have to rely heavily on your ability to make plays off structure because you're going to see things that defensive coordinators drawing up those perfect plays. Right. Those perfect play calls on a third and eight. And if your guys don't get open and the protection doesn't hold up for those three seconds, what are you going to do? How are you going to extend that play? How are you going to convert on that third and eight if the, the pocket collapses around you and your receivers don't get open? You got to win with your legs, guys. Right. That's why athleticism matters. There's a reason, guys. We haven't really seen a quote unquote pocket quarterback like a Matt Ryan develop since Matt Ryan 13 years ago, right? There's a reason going back to that clip earlier where you don't see a guy like a Matt Schaub sitting the bench for four years or three or four years and then going somewhere else and becoming a, a, a capable starter anymore. 
When we look at the, the quote unquote pocket quarterbacks that have been successful over the last decade, we look at players like Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr or Jared Goff, guys that by and large are capable quarterbacks, but most people consider to be kind of average NFL starters. There's kind of a lower ceiling on those guys, isn't there? Unless you can put them in a situation like you saw with some of these guys that have had success, where they've had a dominant running game, where they've had a successful offensive line, when they've had a top five defense, then you can win with those guys when the supporting cast and the environment around them is pristine. But you break down any one of those things and all of a sudden you're looking at just a a middling type of quarterback that you can win six or seven games with, but that's not going to get you far in this league, my, my friends. Right. And so these guys are relying on their ability to win from the neck up. But guess what? You can't win from the neck up as a rookie because you're seeing things that you've never seen before. In year two and year three, you need those reps. You need that development time. And that's a key part of why Josh Rosen did not succeed because he was a quarterback, as Mark said, that was not as advanced from the neck up to compensate for those lack of physical traits. The other issue is those physical traits. Josh Rosen lacks the accuracy, the ability to handle pressure, the decision-making. All of those things were bad in Arizona and Miami back in 2018 and 2019, really bad in those two spots. And then when you couple that, With the other things, it's a recipe for disaster. And so I would highly recommend for anybody, I tweeted this out on Tuesday, but I'll plug it here on the podcast. I highly recommend a a video from 2020 that Samuel Gold, who covers the Seahawks, but does a lot of great film work on YouTube, you know, put out back in May of 2020, where he went through and broke down why Josh Rosen was a so-called bust. Go watch that video. I beg of you again, I'll plug it in the description, but a lot of people just want to simply dismiss Josh Rosen's struggle and say, oh, it's a product of environment. He went to a bad situation. Of course he did, right? But that's part of the reason, guys. You have to have that extra ability. Kyler Murray went to a bad situation in Arizona. He seems to be doing all right. Why? Ask yourself that question. Why? Right? Ryan Fitzpatrick, and as Samuel broke down in an episode, Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to have far more success in Miami playing behind an equally bad offensive line, got sacked far less was able to make far better throws and far better decisions. Why? Because Ryan Fitzpatrick has the experience that Josh Rosen lacks. Matt Ryan, when he was successful coming into the league, why was he successful? Part of it was he came into a league back in 2008, came to a Falcons team where he basically was able to hand the ball off to Michael Turner 400 times and had at that time was the NFL's second best rushing offense. And no offense to Mike Davis, but he's not that dude. The offensive line here in Atlanta It's not particularly good, guys. So this attitude that Atlanta is this ideal, great environment for Josh Rosen to finally get the development that he's never had before, it's kind of BS. Now, again, I could sit here all day and wax poetic about these things, but let's talk about Josh Rosen versus, say, Felipe Franks. And while I'll sit here and acknowledge all day, every day that Felipe Franks has probably an equally long way to go from a quote-unquote mental or neck-up standpoint to be a successful quarterback in this league. At least he has the athleticism that in the scenario where you're throwing him to the wolves, he can literally run from those wolves, right? If you're putting him behind a questionable offensive line, he can escape pressure. He can escape trouble. There was a throw he made against Miami where he was rolling to his right and he put it on the money to Juwan Green. Now that may wind up being the best throw that Felipe Franks ever makes in the NFL. But those are the types of plays that Felipe Franks gives you an opportunity to do. Not really the case with Josh Rosen, my friends. And so if you're asking me, who would I much rather bet on? Who would I much rather give the opportunity to sit as the QB three for the next five months on the Falcons practice squad 
off the slim hopes that either one of them develop for that neck up ability of sitting behind and learning this offense for the next five months. And maybe, maybe just maybe after five months of learning this offense, the light goes on. Who would I rather bet on Josh Rosen or Felipe Franks? I know it sounds like a hot take guys, but I'll take Felipe Franks all day, every day. And that's not because I'm this big Felipe Franks guys. I don't have a high opinion of Felipe Franks. I think probably the best case scenario is that he's a third string quarterback that sticks on the practice squad for a couple of years before the Falcons eventually find someone better and move on. That's probably the best case scenario for him. Right. And anything beyond that is not probably in the cards. And again, Franks has a long way to go from the neck up, but I'd rather bet on the slim possibility of him possibly figuring out this offense coupled with his mobility, his athleticism, his arm strength to be able to create things off structure compared to Rosen, who needs to have a pristine, perfect environment to even have a chance of being an effective player. Again, if you throw Franks to the wolves, he can at least run from those wolves. So there's a chance, just a slim one that he could survive in that scenario. And let's talk about Josh Rosen versus AJ McCarron. And if you haven't figured out the other element that I'm talking about is that experience that need to get reps. And McCarron has the experience that you want Rosen to have that if Rosen's going to have a chance of being good, he's going to need AJ McCarron's experience and longevity. And so when I sit here and I hear people say, Oh, Josh Rosen is 24 and, and they treat that as an asset. It's not guys. You want the veteran quarterback that has seen it all. Ideally you want that guy to be 30 plus years old, AJ McCarron, 31, and has started seven plus years in the NFL. Now, even if you don't have that guy, and AJ McCarron certainly hasn't started that many games in the NFL, it's better to at least have the guy that sit the, sat the bench for seven years and at least has a better understanding of the intricacies of the offense and the scheme because he's now sat in a film room for seven years and watched hundreds of games, hundreds of hours of film, seen better quarterbacks ahead of him, you know, the things that they do. And he's picked all that stuff up, hopefully through the power of osmosis. I'd rather bet on that, his ability to pick up the offense and master the offense through the power of osmosis than someone like Josh Rosen who has no clue what he's doing. And you're just hoping you're hoping that he can figure it out on the fly as the wolves are chasing him through the forest. At least A.J. McCarron has, you know, in this metaphor, has watched, you know, hours and hours of, of nature documentaries and hunting videos that he can at least understand, OK, this is what the wolves, these are how the wolves are going to try to attack me. And maybe if I do this and do that, I'll be able to survive if he's not going to get out there in the woods and outrun them. And so this gets back to the core of what I was talking about in that earlier clip, where if you actually look at the successful quarterback reclamation projects over the last 25, 30 years, right, when we're looking at the so-called late bloomers, the Rich Gannon. Chris Chandler, Kurt Warner, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Tannehill. Ask yourself, what do those guys have in common that some of these other failed reclamation projects lack? Right? Does anybody ever think about these things? Gannon's first Pro Bowl season was in year 13 of his NFL career back in 1999 with the Raiders at age 34 when he had 58 career starts to his name. Chris Chandler's first Pro Bowl season, year 10 with the Falcons, 1997, age 32, 70 career starts. Kurt Warner, breakout MVP year 99, year 6, age 28, 40 career starts in the Arena Football League in NFL Europe. Ryan Fitzpatrick, first winning season as a quarterback, 2015, year 11, Jets, age 33, 89 career starts. Ryan Tannehill, successfully reclaimed by Arthur Smith in 2019, year 8, Titans, age 31, 88 career starts. You're talking about guys in all these cases had four, five, six years worth of starting experience before they were able to eventually figure it out. 
And that's what I was getting at with my earlier clip about the value of reps and waiting on these guys. Let these guys get four or five years. Let Josh Rosen go to Canada for four or five years, be successful. And then maybe when he's age 29, 30, he can basically be the next Jeff Garcia and come to the NFL and be a successful starter in this league. Right. If you want to reclaim guys, as I mentioned earlier, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota are better bets than a Josh Rosen. In the future, the Jared Goffs, the Carson Wentz, the Mitchell Trubisky types, right? The failed starters. But when these guys are approaching 29, 30, and they've had five, six years of NFL starting experience, that's when you want to bet on these guys as being the next Rich Gannon, the next Kurt Warner, the next Ryan Tannehill. And I'm sure some of you guys are sitting here thinking like, oh, Aaron, okay, all that, whatever. But even the names that you threw out, Trevor Simeon, Matt Barkley, you know, these guys aren't better than Josh Rosen. What makes them so special, right? They're not particularly gifted. They don't have a ton of experience. And you'd be absolutely right, guys. I'm not saying those guys are ideal quarterback two options. But at this point, the Falcons beggars can't be choosers, right? And we can choose to do better than Josh Rosen, right? We may not be able to choose to do better than Trevor Simeon at this point in time. And again, the fundamental difference between a Trevor Simeon and a Josh Rosen or a Matt Barkley and a Josh Rosen is that when those guys have gotten on the field, they've been better than Josh Rosen was when he was on the field. So again, I could talk about this all day, but I'll leave it at that. I'm sure this topic will continue to be discussed over the next week or so on Twitter, on this podcast. Should people feel the, the desire to rebut my opinions today? So again, I'm not trying to sit here and tell you guys you're not allowed to be excited about this movie. If you want to be excited about the movie, well, don't let me spoil your fun. But I think this notion that some Falcon fans are putting out there that Josh Rosen is somehow better option than the current options the Falcons have, you know, I think is kind of bonkers. The notion that Josh Rosen is this low risk, high reward signing is kind of bonkers, right? This is the same people that said the same thing about Laquan Treadwell, low risk, high reward. How is a wide receiver that's big, slow, can't separate, and can't make contested catches a high-reward player? How is a young quarterback that needs experience to be successful but lacks the experience to be successful, is inaccurate, makes poor decisions, can't create within or outside the pocket a high-reward? Right? You guys sit here and say, oh, A.J. McCarron and Felipe Frank stink because they threw picks in the game. Go watch that Kansas City game, guys. Josh Rosen had just as inexplicably a bad interception in that preseason game as Franks or McCarron had. So this idea that Josh Rosen is somehow this much better bet than the current Falcons options, I, you know, I just I'm, I'm trying to I'm baffled by it, guys. That's why I'm sitting here raining on your parade. Again, I'm not trying to be the bad guy. I'm not trying to sit here and hate on Josh Rosen. I want him to be successful. But all the things I said about Josh Rosen, about the accuracy, the decision-making, the, the inability to create, all of those things can be described about A.J. McCarron, right? You're sitting there saying, well, well that's the difference between A.J. McCarron? Of course, you're right. But the problem is, contrary to popular opinion, the fact that A.J. McCarron is 31 and Josh Rosen is 24, you guys think that's in favor of Josh Rosen. It's not, guys. It's in favor of A.J. McCarron because that experience matters for a quarterback like that where you need that neck up ability. You need that experience. You need that knowledge for that guy to have a fighting chance. And so again, I'm not trying to hate on Josh Rosen. I want him to be successful, but the problem here is that people just because they want something to be true and they want Josh Rosen to be successful. They want Atlanta to be this great environment. They want Arthur Smith to have the divine touch where he can just go up to Josh Rosen, touch him and automatically make him into the next Ryan Tannehill. Just because you want something to be true doesn't make it true guys. And so this is one instance where I don't have a problem. You know, I'm not hating. 
I just don't have a problem being the bad guy that's telling you, you know, stop living in the clouds. I'm going to yank on your leg and say, Hey, you know, come back down to earth, right? You can be hopeful. You can believe when you close your eyes at night and believe in gumdrops and rainbows and how it's all going to be great and wonderful. You're allowed to do that. Dream your little dreams, hope, wish, all that sort of stuff. So if you want Josh Rosen to be successful, by all means, be it. Want him to be the outlier, but understand that it's the outlier guys. And so again, I hope he does well, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Right. And so, you know, what's funny about it is like, again, last point I'll make, you know, for the last couple of years, when I've been hyping up the Matt Schaub's and the Danny Etlings of the world, I'm sure some of you guys, Oh, that's just Aaron being ironic and sarcastic, but Schaub personifies what I'm talking about. The experience, Danny Etling personifies what I'm talking about. The mobility athleticism, right? I didn't love those guys just because I'm being edgy and being like, Oh, I like the thing that you guys don't like. There was a lesson there. So, there you guys have it. That's where we'll leave it. You know, we'll find out if Josh Rosen winds up being this great bet or bad bet. But in the meantime, speaking of good versus bad bets, the best place to find out some great bets when it comes to sports is, of course, the Locked On Bets podcast, where host your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling are giving you their daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored, and of course, Lee's Lock of the Day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast presented by betonline.ag on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, guys, appreciate it. Till then.